Hey everybody, this is Gus G, and you're listening to Diary of a Madman, the Ultimate Aussie Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast where we geek out about all things Ozzy and Ozzy related. I am Josh Crum and with us as always is Mr. Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan? Hey, what's up? How you doing, man? Doing good, man. We're both have been busy. We're really uh, scrounging to get this one in this week for the listeners, but definitely glad we've been able to get together and pull it off, man. So uh, what's new with you? Yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks with football and my job and just everything else in the family. This is like the least I have talked to you in the last couple of weeks. It's just been fucking insane. Easily. I even kind of reached out to you this morning and was like, hey, are you okay? I haven't heard much from you, which I've been busy also. For those that don't know, Dan coaches football, like youth football and stuff, and has a couple different teams that keep very busy. And I have a family that plays football and basketball. My kids keep me busy and on the run all the time. And uh, also where I live, we've had our share of inclement weather in the past week or so. So it's kind of been crappy to deal with every day. But uh, definitely glad to be back on here doing what I love, man, and talking about what we really want to talk about. Yeah, for sure. And we've had inclement weather here as well. I think it's been, you know, in the mid 60s. So oh, that's awful, man. That's <laughs> I know. Awful. I don't know. I don't you know guys will survive. <laughs> I think you'll so. definitely rebuild, no doubt. <laughs> I don't know. I do have to wear my gloves and my my beanie at football practice, though. Ah, poor thing. <laughs> All right, man. So before we get into this week's episode, how about feedback on last week's episode of the guest appearances? What'd you think? I personally absolutely love that topic. It's near and dear to my heart, as it is yours as well. There's so many great Aussie songs that I'm really hope we uh, educated the listeners on, and really hopefully they enjoyed them over the last couple of weeks you know with our playlist that we put together obviously that wasn't all the songs we only could put the ones that were on spotify but you know a lot of weird choices out there you know i love to see the variations i think i've seen pictures of matchstick men somebody had shock the monkey you know not too many shake your head let's go to beds but that's okay i still stand by it I did see one guy that had it on his list. He had it like third on his yeah, list. I, I tagged you for sure to make sure you saw that one because I knew you yeah, would be excited. Awesome. I think for the most part, Closed My Eyes Forever was the winner yeah. from the fan base and, and the listeners and folks who you know chimed in and let us know what their top three or five or ten would have been. And I think that was kind of the clear runaway was Closed My Eyes Forever. Would you agree with that? No question. And I'd have to say there wasn't a lot of talk about the newer tracks like Gods or Crucify the Dead as much as some of the older tracks is what I saw. Yeah, I'd agree. And I strongly encourage listeners to go back and listen to those songs more closely if you aren't familiar with them because they are stellar. I did see somebody talk about Nowhere to Run, though, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) That's correct. Yeah. And he was pretty sincere about that, too. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great song. So, all right, man. Anything else we want to talk about before we get into today's topic? The one thing I really, really want to cover today is the controversy around our beloved Judas Priest. So they came out last week and said that they were going to go tour as a four-piece, and I feel like the internet caught fire. You know, everybody and everywhere was irate. I am just shocked how irate everybody really was on this topic. And now they have come back and has said, oh, no, 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 we're going to reverse that decision. Andy is going to be on tour and we're definitely going to tour as a five piece. Even our buddy Ryan was fucking pissed, you know, and he was lighting us up on on Messenger. But personally, I wasn't as upset. And I don't know if you could pick up on that because for me, Priest 
will always be Priest. And I know they're a two-guitar band, and that's what they're known for. But Richie is such a great, talented player. I think he could have pulled it off just fine. How many times have we seen Ozzy live with just Zach, you know, or any of them, Jake, Joe Holmes? I easily think that Richie could have easily pulled off something like that. What about you? Ryan reached out to me and you like twice or three times, kind of like, hey, guys, like poking us. Like, where are you at on this? I want to hear <laughs> right. your opinions. And we both have just been so busy. We didn't get back timely on that one, which is rare. We all typically respond to each other within seconds. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of you and Ryan. On one hand, do I think Richie could have pulled it off? Absolutely. That guy's a monster. He's excellent. He definitely could have done it. But I do understand, too, that what made Priest, Priest was that dual guitar attack. And that's kind of what they've always been known for. It's almost like being lazy with one guitar. It'd be so awkward. So for the live sound, I do think it would have taken a step back a little bit to only have a one guitar attack. But at the same time, it could have been done. To me, the part that was awkward was they made it sound like Andy Sneap was really wanting to step back in the studio and not really tour with the band as if it was his decision. And then he tweeted, I'm, I'm sad about this unfortunate decision to tour as a four piece and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of made it clear that he did want to tour with the band. So I thought that kind of, you know, really stoked the fire of the fan base also when they saw that it wasn't something that he necessarily wanted to do, but something he was put in position to do. And I'm glad that at the end of the day, though, they did make the right decision and decided to go ahead and bring him back in and keep it a five piece and, and go forward with the sound that we all know and love. Even though those aren't the original guys, they've become part of the fabric and part of the family. And I also said that, you know, Glenn Tipton will join from time to time also when he's available. So that's something to always look forward to. Yeah, agreed. I totally agree with you on the whole Andy Sneap thing. When I first read it, I totally thought Andy Sneap was still going to be too busy doing his productions because he is one of the best producers in, in definitely metal, underground music. I love his productions, and I'm so glad that they've ironed it all out and he's still going to work on the new Priest record. I assume Tom Alum is still going to work with them as well. But I'd have to say it's the right decision, but I wouldn't have been horrified to go see Priest with just Richie. Really, it's Glenn's band. You know, me and me and Ryan were talking about this as well. I think everybody thinks it's Rob's band, but at the end of the day, Priest is really Glenn's band. And I think that's why KK left because KK was one of the founding members. I know it was around before him, but on the rejuvenated Judas Priest, he was one of the founding members. And I think he always thought it was his band. And I think Glenn kind of took control from him. So I wonder if Glenn just didn't want somebody filling his shoes. I don't know. It's really weird. It could be. You know, one thing I really didn't think about a lot myself was his perspective on it. I guess since he's not technically in the group anymore, I didn't really think about what his train of thought might have been on it. But that could have been it. Like, hey, man, I don't want someone in my spot. Leave my spot open. And then when I can, I will. Kind of like uh, Mick Jones, a foreigner. You know, like Mick's there when he can be there. He, when he's not right. there, they just perform without him, right? So I do want to clarify, he's still in the band. He just can't tour with him. Yeah, 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 of yeah. course. So the other thing I really wanted to talk about this week is Tony Martin came out and basically said that him and Tony Iommi cannot write and release anything new under the Black Sabbath banner. And I know Josh and I probably differ a little bit on the Tony Martin era. I think I might like it a little bit more than you do because I'm a huge fan of Cross Purposes, Tear, especially those two. But at the end of the day, everyone's already shitting on Ozzy and Sharon on this. But if they didn't let Dio record The Devil You Know under Black Sabbath, that lineup, in what universe are they going to let the Tony Martin era record new material under the Black Sabbath banner? Now, I know this was specifically for a couple of songs that they wanted to add to remasters, and I really hope these remasters come out because some of those records desperately need it, and Forbidden obviously needs a wonderful remix, which is a very solid record, very underrated. But I just can't imagine that Tony Martin really thought he'd be able to record new music under the Black Sabbath banner. To me, it just boggles my mind. 
Yeah, stated perfectly. If Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio can't record as Black Sabbath, then of course the Tony Martin era isn't going to record as Black Sabbath. That was just, you know, of course. I think it was well stipulated with the reunion that this is Black Sabbath and going forward without these set of guys, it can't be Black Sabbath. Now, of course, the argument for many fans is going to be, well, they did it without Bill Ward and, and so on and so forth. And I understand that. But let's be real. Tony Iommi owned the name Black Sabbath. Ozzy sued him for it. Claiming also to be on behalf of Geezer and Bill also, stating that, hey, if a t-shirt sold with Bill's face on it, Bill should get a cut of that. Right. And I do think as it played out, Ozzy and Tony kind of became 50-50 on it. I don't think Geezer and Bill still have really any part financially of the band. I'm, I say that without definite knowledge of it. They could have a 10% stake or something of that effect. But I think the majority owners are Ozzy and Tony equally at this point of the name. But, you know, that's something that Tony also agreed to from a standpoint of it's going to make a lot more money that way. And at this point, it would be deceitful to put out a new Black Sabbath record with anyone other than Ozzy Osbourne and Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler, you know. So I get it. I don't know what Tony Martin really expected coming into that, you know, recording with Tony Iommi. I think at this point, anything not called Black Sabbath is going to be called Iommi. When Tony records albums with Glenn Hughes these days, they're called Iommi albums. So right. I, I think at this point in Tony's career, he's just too legendary to step back into a new band name or any kind of a companion piece with anyone else. He's Tony Iommi and he's a fucking legend and I don't see it going down any other way with him. Yeah, agreed. And I think at this point, 13 is now nine years old. And if Tony Iommi really wanted to record and write again with Tony Martin, I think he would have already jumped at that opportunity because at the end of the day, I just don't see that partnership really happening again. Maybe I'm wrong, but if Tony has his choice, I can't imagine him not choosing somebody like Glenn Hughes over Tony Martin, right? Yeah, and it's not trying to take a dig at Tony Martin. I, no, I actually, not at all. Yeah, I do enjoy that air. Cross purposes is possibly, I mean, it's right there with anything post-Aussie that they've ever done for me. I really Agreed. love that one. Yeah, me too. But uh, like you said, I think Tony Iommi is aware that he could have Tony Martin at any time. And Tony publicly suggests and pushes for that constantly with his comments on on social media and stuff and in interviews kind of like dave evans of acdc you always hear their tony go on blabbermouth dave evans of acdc original lead singer says blah 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 you know in a lot of ways tony martin kind of does the same also you know this, there's no there's no shame in black sabbath being the coup de gras of your career there's nothing right. wrong with that i mean if i play with black sabbath they would certainly be the pinnacle of my career also so but these guys like this are always glomming to that wanting to right. bring it back and i think you stated it perfectly when you said if tony iommi wanted that he could have had that in a hot second i do think he has a desire and a passion to remix and remaster these albums and bring Agreed. them to a, to a present standard to where he thinks they should be yeah and and maybe might bring them to where they need to be but ultimately i don't think he has a whole lot of desire to write new material with anyone in particular yeah and quite honestly I'd love to see them on the streaming services, Spotify, Apple Music, and so on, Amazon. Because right now there's only Eternal Idol, which is probably my least like Tony Martin album, which I know is going to maybe ruffle some feathers, but um, that's not one of my favorites. I think uh, Cross Purposes and Tear and Headless Cross are much better. Yeah, I, I'd love to see him re-release them, remaster them, and I hope it happens someday. And I love Tony Martin. I wish nothing but success for his new record. You know, I think it's great that he's writing and recording material again. I'm just baffled that he would just think that they'd record under Black Sabbath again. And I know he was in the band a long time, and that might annoy people. But the bottom line is Black Sabbath came back, did 13, had a number one record, got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It is done. If it's not Ozzy, Tony, and Geezer, it is done. And I know Bill is in the news again, wanting to record a couple of songs for one last hurrah. And I, of course, who wouldn't love that? 
You know, man, a part of me believes that could happen someday, and it could be wishful thinking. And I think I've said it before on the show, but I could see those guys getting together for one single. Even Ozzy talks about all the time ending together with those guys, and it meant so lot, so much to come back and and you know finish it up together and this and that. I could truly see those guys doing one more song, and it could be an old one that they demoed back in two thousand that never saw the light of day or anything, but I could see them doing one song. And, you know, in a digital era, there's nothing wrong with that. It'd be a smash for those guys to put one more song out together. Like I said, wishful thinking, I'm sure, but I'm always hopeful that this could happen one day. Yeah. We all know they can go in and record Scary Dreams tomorrow. The song is written. Exactly. Yeah, which would be amazing. All right, so up to our topic, Josh. Why don't you uh, let the listeners know what we are diving into today? All right, man. Dan and I sifted through all the ideas of different things to discuss, and we have come around that we believe we need to do another deep dive. And this time we have chosen the 1986 smash hit, The Ultimate Sin, released on February 22nd, 1986. I remember the day. Dude, I know this is an album that we both love passionately, man. You remember the day. I was only six years old, so I do not remember the day. So tell us about it. Well, I was young. You know, I was only 13 going on 14 and not even going on 14. I just really kind of turned 13 at the end of 85. And I just remember the day my my brother was at school and he was going to go pick the album up after he got out of school. And I just remember waiting patiently for him to come home with the record. And of course, I gave him my money to go pick it up for me. He walked in the door and... We were able to listen to it. We both had headphones on and we put it on my dad, mom's like big ass stereo we had back in the day, you know, with the fucking huge equalizer and kick ass turntable. And we had two earphone jacks. So we were able to both listen to it at the same time while my parents were home watching television. And I just remember being blown away by this record. Matter of fact, and we're going to get to this, but it's funny because I kind of had a premonition without even knowing it. But I remember listening to the album for the first time. And the first thing I said was, gosh, that is a great record. But Shot in the Dark doesn't really sound like an Aussie song. And what the fuck did I know at 13 years old, right? So come to find out, it's really not an Aussie song, <laughs> which we'll get into. But overall, I thought it was a great change of pace back in the day over Bark at the Moon. Now we will go into, I think Bark at the Moon is aged better. And I prefer Bark at the Moon. But Ultimate Sin with Jakey Lee and this band Holy fuck, what a great record. Yeah, man. We all look back at it now, and it sounds a little dated, and we all agree with Ozzy that it needs a good remaster and a remix so that we can get a more current standard sound on those guitars and so on and so forth. But it was definitely the right album at the right time. I mean, we're at the peak of Hollywood fandom and the Sunset Strip, right? And this is the only Ozzy album that really sounds Sunset Strip. And it was a smash success at the time, man. No doubt about it. Produced by Ron Nevison, who was a majorly hot producer at the time and, and, you know, well-known and respected throughout his career. It hit the mark, double platinum. The Ultimate Sin did go double platinum. And it also hit number six on the Billboard charts, which was a very high chart for Ozzy. It was his highest charting album of his career up until that point. So, I mean, yeah, the album did well. You got Jakey Lee on guitar. We have Randy Castillo's first appearance on an Ozzy Osbourne album, who, in my mind, like I said before, when I picture the Ozzy lineup, I picture Randy Castillo on drums. It's just my era, I suppose. And we have Mr. Phil Susan coming in on bass for this one and Mike Moran on keyboards. But, of course, written with Bob Daisley, as we've discussed on the show before, and we'll definitely get into that a little bit. Like I said, this was a different era of Ozzy Osbourne, and this album kind of stands alone 
as far as sounding like the era. No other Ozzy album ever sounded like this one. Much to the chagrin of a lot of fans, but much to the love of a lot of fans also. Yeah, consider me in the chagrin category. I really do not like Ron Nevison's production at all. This is the first album Ozzy did solo that did not have my man Max Norman as producer. And I say it all the time. I personally think no one captured Ozzy vocally better than Max Norman. Not even close. They had a magical partnership, and he knew how to capture Ozzy. Ozzy just doesn't sound quite as good on this record to me. And I don't know if Ron didn't know how to really properly double-track his voice, if he was using the wrong effects, but the guitars aren't quite as thick as I prefer them. They are on The Ultimate Sin. It's kind of weird. The Ultimate Sin and Shot in the Dark are clearly the two best-produced songs, with maybe Killer of Giants. And then you got a couple of others that are just, it's so thin-sounding to me. You know, Phil Susan, who had a major impact on this record, great bass player, but again... I just don't like the bass sound. It's just too thin for my taste. So, and the band, we'll get into it, but the band did not like Ron Nevison either. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ozzy, you know, all of the albums leading up to this one had a big sound. I mean, when you listen to Diary of a Madman and Blizzard of Oz, they are so full and rich with tones. I mean, every time I listen, it's like I. 40 years later, and I still hear new things sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's yeah. just so much going on. They're so full. And, and yeah, I mean, the production on this one definitely feels flatlined. It feels very thin, and like you could almost punch through it. I agree, man. A remaster and a remix would be amazing. No, I would love to hear Jackie Lee's guitars are really brought to the forefront the way they should have been. Yeah, no question. That would have been fucking great, because we all know Jake is a god. I, I wish he would have recorded more with Ozzy. I would have to say the biggest disappointment of this is there's no unreleased songs. They wrote nine songs for the record, and they were all released. So this is the only Ozzy album I know that didn't have a B-side or an unreleased track. There's just nothing there. So I imagine a lot of that had to do with the tension in the band at the time, and of course, Ozzy going in out of Betty Ford Center. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it, because there's so much contention. In Ozzy's book, he said he fired Jakey e. Lee based on some bad information he got from a band member. So what was really going on at the, at the end of here is after they were done with the Ultimate Sin tour cycle, they were back writing a record. So it was Randy, Phil, and Jake. Jake was not involved at all. He was pissed off at this point. And Ozzy had told Phil to go back and write five to seven songs so they could start working on some new material. Well, Randy and Phil and Jake were supposed to be getting together to work through the music portion of it, and Jake wouldn't show up. Or he'd show up at 4 o'clock and go nap and say, I'm too tired. This is all according to Phil Susan. So basically, Phil went to Ozzy and said, listen, we can't get any production done because Jake is just not being cooperative. And Ozzy said, if he does not show up on time tomorrow, let me know and I will fire him. And he didn't. And the rest is history. Well, there you have it. Right? So it's pretty interesting. I mean, the whole ending of this lineup, and I know it's weird we're starting with the end before we get to the beginning, but I always thought it was interesting how Jake actually kind of left the band. And Phil did have his hand in it, there's no question. After the ultimate sin, when they were trying to write the follow-up, I really think Jake was done, you know, emotionally and mentally. I also read that Phil said that Jake and him toured together this, for like six months straight on this tour, and they didn't say more than three sentences to each other. Can you imagine that? Oh, wow. That's how miserable crazy. would that be? It's awkward and awful, and Randy and Phil are best of buds they were back in the day, and they, they stayed in close contact all the way through, unfortunately, Randy's passing. So Randy and Phil were super tight. Ozzy was fucking drunk out of his mind, and Jake was probably by himself, and he's a loner yeah. anyway. And he's a little bit younger than the other guys also, so I think right. that all probably played in. I'm not sure how much younger he is than Phil Susan, but he definitely was younger than Ozzy and Randy Castillo. Randy Castillo is a little bit older than a lot of people realize. He always looked so young. 
back in the day. And, and of course, he died young. So we, you know, forever young in, in that respect. But he was a little bit older than I think most of us realized back in the yeah. early 80s, in the early like 80s and early 90s. Two years younger than Ozzy. So very much in the same age bracket as Ozzy. Yeah. He just looked great for his age. So, yeah. So the first thing, obviously, we still had Jake in the band, who was the only holdover from Bark at the Moon. So initially, this is what happens, right? Bob Daisley. Tommy Oldridge and Jakey Lee go off to start writing songs for the next record. So this is after the Bark at the Moon door. They write and record some songs for Ozzy to sing over. Now, during this time, Ozzy is in and out of Betty Ford Center a lot. And this is definitely him trying to get straight, which obviously didn't hold. But I think it was some ridiculous amount of number of times that he was in and out. So they do that for a while. And then Tommy Aldridge leaves the band for Whitesnake. And I think he was going to get canned anyway. So it was a really good choice for him. And then next comes up is they have to audition drummers, right? So they go through this huge process to bring in tons of different drummers. A couple of amazing names on here. Eric Singer is one of them. He almost gets the gig. It's kind of ironic because he winds up playing later with Bob Daisley, right, on the Eternal Idol record. Also, Fred Corey is going to get the gig because, as we all know, Randy Castillo broke his leg skiing and then gets a call from Ozzy based on the recommendation of two people, and that is Tommy Lee and Bobby Blotzer. So they both... Tell Ozzy, you got to go contact Randy Castillo. He's a beast. He's a beast. Bob basically called him a poor man's Tommy Aldridge, which I don't agree with at all. I don't think they're that similar in style. So all these guys come in and Fred Corey gets the job because right now they're really just biding their time with Randy Castillo to heal. Bill Ward even came in and comes in and has a fun jam with the band. And, you know, I'm assuming they just played Black Sabbath songs. But how cool to that, right, Josh, to hear Bob, Bill, and Jake. Oh, man, that would have been amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, even just playing Black Sabbath songs, just hearing Jake with Bill Ward and Bob Daisley, it would have been amazing. But just imagine if Bill did give his hand at Over the Mountain or something. That would have been so fucking cool to hear, man. Like, I would love to hear some bootleg demos of that jam session for sure. Oh, it would have been amazing. Absolutely. So Fred Corey gets the job from Cinderella fame, and they go in and they start writing. And then that actually is where they go in and record four songs for the record company. Because the record company's like, hey, what do you guys have for the next record? Well, Ozzy's been completely out of it. So Bob, Jake, and Fred go into the studio and they record four songs. And then Ozzy comes in and wants to start rearranging stuff. And Bob gets pissed off. And then him and Ozzy have a major argument. And once again, Bob gets fired. So they record that. And then they submit it to the record company and the record company likes it. And then eventually Fred leaves and they bring in Jimmy DeGrasso for a month. And he starts writing a whole bunch of songs with just Jake. And then after that, he gets let go and Randy's ready to go. And Randy kind of takes up the mantle. And good thing also, because like I said earlier, I'm a Randy Castillo fan, big fan of the guy. So I'm definitely glad it worked out for him to take the reins of the drumming for sure. Yeah. And he lasted with the band for a long time. I mean, he stayed on and recorded three studio albums with Ozzy and outside of Michael Borden, that's the longest run in Ozzy's solo career, which is pretty amazing. And he's a damn good drummer and a perfect fit. Great look too. I think once you look at the three guys, well, you got Jake, Phil eventually, and we'll get to Phil's story and Randy, obviously Sharon was going for a look here, right? I mean, can you imagine Bob with Randy and Jake? It just, and I love Bob and I think he's one of the best bass players and writers to ever play, but it just doesn't have that same look, right? Yeah, it just doesn't have the same stage appeal to the ladies, does it? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I think it's the same problem I had in 1981 also. I've, I've always thought that was a big part of it. But I think by 1986, for sure, 
85, 86, that Sharon knew, like I said earlier, the Hollywood scene, the Sunset Strip. MTV. You had to look a certain way. Yeah, there, MTV was blowing up, and yep. you had to have a certain look. And Jake had it, and you know now Randy Castillo has it, and, and Bob didn't fit that mold of what you were looking for back then in the 80s rock star. So I think Phil Suzanne definitely filled that role and captured what Sharon had vision in her head as what a rock and roll band is supposed to look like in 1986. Right. An interesting nugget I read about Jimmy DeGrasso is he had stated that the original producer was going to be Chris Sangarides. And I wish that would have happened because it would have been a way heavier record. You know, I don't know how it got switched to Ron Nevison. I'm sure it was because of all the hits he was doing. But if they had Chris Sangarides on there, that would have been amazing. Yeah, for sure. It definitely would have been a different sound. No, no question about it. So then Bob and Ozzy have another split, unfortunately. And then he brings in Full Susan and they get together and they start writing the record and finalize it and record it. Now, Phil, it's kind of a cool story is Ozzy and Sharon saw him on some like local or some TV show and Ozzy and, and Phil met at a bar and Ozzy got really pissed off because he let Phil had let him waiting for an hour or two. And Ozzy was like, what the fuck? You know, kept calling him. He was like, are you coming? Are you coming? But by the time Phil got there, he was fucking, <laughs> he was fucked up. So they had this long ass conversation and Ozzy basically tells him you're in the band. And then the next day he gets a call from Sharon and says, no, you're not in the band. You can't listen to a goddamn thing Ozzy says when he's drunk. We will get back to you. So I always thought that was kind of a funny story. That's funny and typical, right? I mean, it's yeah. definitely something we've heard from Ozzy before. So Yeah, no question. So one of the interesting things that I, I was just reading was that Phil actually auditioned and he was using his fingers to play the bass instead of a pick. Well, the guys were used to Bob Daisley playing with a pick. That was just the sound of the band. It's a very different sound. So when Phil was auditioning, he was using his fingers and then somebody got word to him and said, hey, use a pick. The guys really are used to that. So he said when he went back for the next audition, he had switched to using a pick and he said the whole room just lit up and it was like magic. Obviously, Phil had a lot of uh, history. You know, he's in a lot of different bands and stuff and they were done with the record. And Ron Nevison, this is pretty awesome too. And I'm sure you know this story, but Ron did not hear a hit, right? Ron Nevison was like, I'm not recording this record until we got a hit, right? <laughs> to me, this is awesome because Ron tells them that they have to record Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. And it's so ironic because Ozzy records it in 92 with Miss Piggy eight years later. But oh, Ozzy, Ozzy yes, <laughs> yes, yes, Ozzy. Yeah. But Ozzy hits the fucking roof because he's like, I ain't fucking doing that song. This is my original record. So that's how Shot in the Dark came about is because then Ozzy had asked Phil if he had anything. And lo and behold, oh, yeah, I have this song that hadn't done anything. Here you go. And then Ozzy and him kind of rewrote the song together. But it's kind of interesting that Ron Nevison's big advice was let's do a cover of Born to be Wild, reminiscent of uh, The Quiet Riot. Yeah. Come on, feel the noise. All the slave tunes and stuff, definitely. Yeah. But at least it prodded them to go into the right direction. I mean, Shot in the Dark to this day is one that's a set list favorite. So it's, he definitely poked them in the right direction, even if his manner of getting there was kind of off the wall. Because I'm like you, uh, Ozzy and Jakey Lee doing a cover of Born to be Wild. Well, that would be fun. I don't think it's lead single material, to say the least. Fuck no, not even close. Absolutely not. And Shot in the Dark wound up becoming one of his most iconic songs. So yeah, definitely it was the right decision. Absolutely. Another interesting thing is Ron went to Sharon and said, you have to fire Randy and Phil. They're not good enough. Let's use session musicians. And then he calls her back in and says, Jake is very difficult to work with. He's not taking any direction. And I love Sh Sharon gets a lot of shit, but Sharon's response to him was, hey, why don't you fire the fucking singer too? And you could start a whole new band. And she exactly. stood up for her boys. <laughs> and yeah, I thought that sure. was great. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, you know, uh, when you're a musician and then, you know, you're a guitar player, man, you're in a rock band and then you go to the music store and there's some dude over there playing piano and he thinks he's classically trained and he's so much, who art thou guitar player? You know, it's right. like, come on, dude, uh, you get the impression that Nevison just thought he was too good for the room. And uh, clearly that wasn't the case. And quite frankly, they said he was kind of not that interested. Like he wasn't really giving much feedback either. I'm surprised that Ozzy just didn't fire him, to be honest. Yeah. Just like he did Roy Thomas Baker for No Rest for the Wicked. I'm surprised he didn't just go a different direction here. But, you know, that's what the history is. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they came up with a great record. You know, I do have my issues with it. And we're going to get into it when we start going song by song. But it is definitely one of Ozzy's most beloved records. I'll tell you, I'd say Ultimate Sin, outside of the first two, is clearly the album I see the most as people favorites yeah definitely and one thing we want to throw on there too while we're talking so much about phil susan and, and randy castillo and these guys the album was written with ozzy osbourne jakey lee and bob daisley with the exception of shot in the dark which was ozzy osbourne and phil susan so we just want to kind of throw that out there bob's writing contributions were still used on the album but phil played on the tracks yeah, and after Phil came in, Ozzy reached out to Bob about six weeks later and basically said, hey, I need you to write the lyrics for the record. But Bob and Jake had written up a lot of that music together even from the earliest stages. So yeah, Bob is all over this record, even though he doesn't like it. He loves to tell the story that Ozzy doesn't like it. And Ozzy does not like this record. It's definitely his least liked record. And he calls it the ultimate din, which I think is fucking hilarious. Bob had just read an article saying, you know, he's not that depressed. He didn't play on this one. So for years leading up to this one, we had the working title of Killer of Giants. And of course, last minute changed it to the ultimate scene. I got to ask, and I want to ask the listeners also, which do you prefer, Killer of Giants or the ultimate scene as a album title? I actually prefer Killer of Giants, and I'll tell you why. Because I had read before the album came out during the Diary of a Madman tour that Ozzy had an idea for four records, and they were going to be Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman, Killer of Giants, and Bark at the Moon. So he just had this idea for a long time, right? So I've always loved that fucking title. I thought, my God, that is an incredible album title. I think The Ultimate Sin is cool, but fuck, Killer of Giants is a great title. What about you? I definitely love the history of Killer of Giants, and I do recall the uh, article you're referencing there when he said that. But I gotta admit, I think The Ultimate Sin is perfect, man. That is a perfect album title. I love it. It puts a little smile on my face. And coming at a time when Ozzy was viewed as the devil anyway, from a standpoint of media and so on and so forth, I thought to come out with a new album titled The Ultimate Sin and then to follow that up with No Rest for the Wicked was definitely playing into the media viewpoints on him at, at that time and, and place in his career. And I just thought it was great. Man, I love it. I, I think I go with The Ultimate Sin. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's still a great title. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, the Ultimate Both of Sin. Them You're right. The Ultimate Sin to Rest of the Wicked is a great one-two punch, right? Awesome. Yeah. So before we get into the songs, I have to cover the amazing painting by Boris Viejo. I fucking love this album cover. Love it. This painting is gorgeous. And I know there's different ones like... Uh, there's a couple with a mountain in the background with crucifixes on it that they got banned, which uh, is also a very cool picture. I remember seeing this album cover and just being like, holy fuck, this is amazing with a nuclear bomb going off. And who the fuck knows the Aussie dragon thing, but goddamn, do I love it. For sure, man. It was awesome. And it also inspired Ozzy's stage entrance for the tour. You coming down on the giant Ozzy dragon monster thing that looked like the Incredible Hulk <laughs> coming yeah, down from the rafters. I loved it. Hey, <laughs> my first my first image of Ozzy Live is right there. Yeah, absolutely. And the girl became iconic. I mean, yeah. she, you know, she was in the video for Shot in the Dark and she was in the Ultimate Ozzy Live VHS that came out later on to support the tour and stuff. So yeah, she became kind of iconic also. Fun fact with her, she was an LA Rams cheerleader. Nice. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people may not know that. But yeah, it was totally iconic album cover, man. I'm with you. I fucking love it. It's iconic to this day. I used to have a t-shirt of it yeah. that I wish still fit me. Unfortunately, it's probably about four sizes too small these days. But uh, it's just so iconic, man. It's so cool. And I always loved album covers anyway that are artsy like that. I'm a big fan of the Never Say Die cover. I love album covers like that that are just artistic and beautiful. And that's definitely, man, the ultimate scene, that cat just completely fucking kicked ass on that cover, man. It's, it's yeah. so cool. And Boris Viejo is an amazing artist. I mean, he's really known in the fantasy and science fiction world. He's done a ton of Conan novels and D&D stuff. So, I mean, just an amazing, amazing painter. And, you know, once I, he was my buddy's favorite artist before the ultimate scene came out. So we were both really stoked when we saw Boris Viejo was doing the, the cover of this one. And it also kind of fit the theme of the album. I've talked to you about this before. I don't view the ultimate scene as a concept album, but there is definitely an underlying theme of chemical warfare going and on war. throughout the album and war in general, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that album cover definitely plays into that also, you know, with these nuclear monsters and bombs in the background and stuff like that. And, and at the end of the day, for most men, what is the ultimate scene? It's, it's a female. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, it it can go as crazy as a nuclear bomb or as simple as a female, but that is what we all kind of have our vices with. So I I thought it was fucking perfect, man. Yeah, no question. There's two major themes going through this record, nuclear holocaust and rocking. And we'll get back to both of them. But yeah, great point, man. The cover captures this fucking perfectly. I was just reading this too. Ozzy gave Bob all the song titles he wanted because Bob was like, what the fuck am I going to do with Thank God for the Bomb? But you could just tell that Ozzy definitely had this fear of nuclear war going on at the time. You know, mid-80s, right into the height of the Cold War. Yeah, absolutely. So up first, the title track, The Ultimate Sin, which of course comes in and we immediately welcome Mr. Randy Castillo in on the drum beat, man. That fucking drum intro is so heavy and so cool. Can you imagine that, Dan, with the 2022 mix and mastered where that son bitch would just completely just pound your speakers? It'd be so fucking cool, man. It'd be amazing. You know, we all talk about how cool Jake would sound with the remaster, but I think that intro with Randy Castillo would just completely be fucking thunderous, man. I'd love to hear that. Great call. Absolutely wonderful drum intro. It's not very difficult, but goddamn, isn't it iconic? So one thing that always caught my attention about the ultimate scene also is that pre-chorus, you know, there's no point in screaming cause you won't be hurt. That fucking makes the song for me, man. That pre-chorus is so fucking cool. The chorus itself is what it is, but the pre-chorus in a way is the hook of this song and it's just so fucking powerful. And that melody is just so fucking catchy, man. I love it. The Ultimate Sin is a great song. Ozzy Oil, baby. Fuck, I love the video too. Ultimate Sin is definitely an amazing song. One of my favorite from the Jake era, to be perfectly honest. It's tuned to drop D, clearly the heaviest song on the record. This is my favorite riff off the record. Ozzy's melody is awesome. I mean, when he comes in with that overkill, you know, I, I fucking, I get chills, man. That song, this song it. is so goddamn good. And kind of, you know, you mentioned the chorus. In a way, the chorus is kind of like the original No More Tears, right? Just that repetition of the song title over and over. And over. Yeah. But yeah, super and, heavy. Go ahead. And like you said, the riff itself is simple and simplistic, the same as the drum intro was, but so fucking powerful and effective at the same time, yeah. man. It, it was all it needed to be. Listen, it's as simple as Jake can get because every Jake riff is kind of complicated. For sure. I think Jake works hard to make him complicated, to yeah. be honest with you. Like, oh my God. You know, we've talked about it before, but the way he plays the guitar solo for the outro of Bark of the Moon, it can be oh. done a little bit simpler. The way Zach plays it's so much simpler, but Jake refuses. He does it his way. And you can tell just by watching his hands it's so much tougher to play but yeah jake has a way of of doing things the hard way because he can do it the hard way that's a key part of it yeah 
I'm like you, man. I fucking love the music video. And it bummed me out when they did the God Bless Ozzy DVD or whatever. And, and he was watching the music video for the song. And he got up and walked out of the room. And he's like, I'm not fucking watching this shit or whatever. I fucking wow. love this video, man. This vi- And again, again, the girl from the album cover. And the, yeah. the LA Rams, she was, she was in this video also, along with Shot in the Dark. Yeah, he pushes but, uh, her into the pool. I fucking love it. Love yeah, the man, I love the it. Yeah. The video is just so cool, man. This this Texas billionaire who just... His ultimate sin was money. And it's all well, you it's a total ripoff of you know, uh, the TV show Dallas. Dallas, of course, yeah. which was kids today have no idea how huge Dallas was. Like that right. show had like 40 million viewers every night. It was on television yeah. back in the day. It was just so fucking huge. You know, who shot JR and all that stuff. So our old timer listeners will appreciate the who shot JR reference because it yep. was such a big deal back in 1985. Man. Like, <laughs> it was huge. You know, but yeah, I, I was five years old and recall people talking about who shot JR. You know, it's, it's crazy how things will never be like that again. But yeah, definitely a spinoff of the Dallas TV show, but it was just so fucking iconic also in its own way, man. I hate that he doesn't appreciate it. And even down to the end when the horse just falls over at the end. Right. <laughs> just, the horse just falls. It's just so damn cool man i don't know it's always like this cool video me too matter of fact it might be my favorite aussie video that's how much i love it and i'd have to say i love randy's drumming on this it's not very obvious that you hear clear double bass drums on an aussie song and this one definitely has it throughout which i thought was really cool up next is secret loser another great track with a really really cool guitar riff by jake Now, this one I love. I mean, Secret Loser, I love the lyrics to this one. Obviously, the Beatles have a song called I'm a Loser, but again, penned lyrically by Bob. One of the stronger lyric, again, on this album. I'll tell you, the best part of this one for me is definitely the bridge. And that's going to be a very, very common theme throughout this record. Ozzy just nails the bridges melodically here the, though i'm the loser there is no winner there's nothing left to win is fucking great another part i love in this song is the breakdown coming out with just the drums and the bass and it's definitely phil's high point on the record for me but that's such a great fucking groove secret loser definitely means a lot to me lyrically i even referenced it in my first solo record definite definite one of my favorites off this one yeah i think secret loser is a song that lyrically a lot of people can relate to if they really break it down and get to the gist of what it's about and it's about self-doubt being hard on yourself all the time but i'm like you you said something in here i a lot of my notes actually mirror what you just said i love phil susan's bass playing on this song i think this is one of his standout tracks for sure on the album and like you man i love the bridges one part of the song I also love too, just lyrically, you know, seeing is not believing. It don't mean a thing, although it appears to me that the loser is king. That stuff hits home, man. It hits home with me. Uh, you said it did me with too. you also that, you know, sometimes it's just so hard to believe in yourself. And uh, sometimes you feel like you aren't worthy of what you have. And just such a cool song. And Jake's guitar solo, I love his solo on this song. Uh, a plus for me jake is just such a fucking stellar guitar player man he's definitely the underdog of the aussie world of randy rose and jake ely and tony omi and zach jake's always like the last one in in that conversation it seems like man but he's just so fucking good and so tasteful i'll say it all the time i'll continue to say it he's just so tasteful but yeah i love the guitar solo but such a fun song man this was also i think tracked perfectly in sequence i love it coming in as the second track right after the ultimate scene, you know, the ultimate scene was not up tempo, which you typically see on albums as the opening track to be up tempo. I love that the ultimate scene is kind of a mid tempo, but then with track two, secret loser really comes out and busts balls on the tempo and really picks the album up yeah. uh, to where it's going to kind of be for the rest of the album for the most part. Great point. I'd have to say, you know, I bet you these lyrics hit home for Ozzy. One thing we all know about Ozzy is he is a big self doubt guy, his whole career. 
So I'm sure he's singing this one with a lot of passion. And of course, this one was definitely a live staple on the tour. This was played at every stop for the Ultimate Sin tour. Yeah. So great live track. But, you know, Ozzy, he doesn't write all the lyrics, but he does typically, like you said, have song titles. And he usually has a song you know, with the title. He has the theme. And some of the lyrics, I would about guarantee that Ozzy started this song out about having self-doubt itself. I mean, yeah. no doubt that Bob wrote the lyrics for the you know 90% of them. But I'm saying I don't doubt that Ozzy spun it in that direction immediately that that's what it's going to be about because that's typically how it went down. Yeah, great point. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, the Beatles have that I'm a loser song. And, you know, his love affair with the Beatles. And I'm sure somewhere in the back of his mind, he was like, I'm going to write my own version of that. Yeah. All right, up next for track three, that brings us to Never Know Why, which I can never hear without picturing my good buddy, Jeremy Chaney, who I grew up with, saying, Never Know Why, we rot. And <laughs> I remember we used to watch the Ultimate Aussie live video, and he would always say, we rot, rot, rot. And ever since then, I can't hear the song without hearing rot in my head instead of rock. So I fucking hate that, but it's funny how that happens. But anyway, another up-tempo rocker. The verse melody is so good in this song. Cool opening guitar riff from Jake, which I think is very, again, tasteful and interesting, kind of fun to watch him play. Not one of my favorite songs on the album, though. This one just always felt a little bit more flat with for me on the chorus. I just always found the chorus to be just a little bit hokey. I think we'll discuss this throughout this album as a theme that they were trying to write some anthems and one of these stadium chant type tunes, you know, we rock, rock. And picturing the crowd saying rock, you know, and he and did really, that live, you know, Josh, that's that, a great that, point. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think bands were trying to write that in the eighties so hard. Everyone wanted to write these anthems. And I think this was one of Ozzy's bigger attempts at it, but ultimately I think it kind of fell because the song itself wasn't the greatest. Yeah. I'd say the opening riff is actually quite awesome. I love the opening riff and I actually like Phil's bass. He's kind of doing that bump, bump, bump behind it. You know, it's really, really good. And this song has a great, it's a great toe tapper, right? Once it gets going. Yeah. And like I said, I love the riff also. The riff yeah, is cool. I think you're yeah. spot on. But God, this is one of Ozzy's worst choruses of his whole career. I actually, the We Rock part, I can't stand. I can't stand in the world of Ozzy. Like, I, I still love it. You know, I always have to throw of that course. in there just like you do. But in the world of Ozzy, definitely not one of my favorites. I think the verses are great. My brother loves the song. When I mean, we saw it live and he did it live, I think my brother was the only one to fucking cheer. It was kind of funny. But hey, you know what's funny? We're sitting here bitching about it. If he broke it out live in 2022, we'd both shit a brick. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely not one of my favorite Aussie moments. I think they are clearly trying to write an 80s rock pop hit. And this one just falls flat. And lyrically, not very good. I'd have to say Bob is, and it's probably not Bob's fault. He was probably told what to write about. But this one is definitely not one of my favorite lyrics that Bob has ever done. A very average song on a very, very good record. Yeah, I agree totally. And oddly placed at track three, where typically you have singles. This was talked about for being a single. It had to be. I would bet you're right. And that probably also is into playing it live, like we said earlier, for the live chance, but also typically play your singles live also. So I would say you're probably spot on with that. Every stop, have we rock it. Sorry, I sometimes do call it we rock. I had never know why. Matter of fact, I just read an article. Randy Castillo called it we rock. I wonder if that was the original working title and they changed it because of the Dio song. I was about to say, I bet that was the working title was We Rock. I yeah. guarantee it. I would love to know that for a fact. I wish there was someone we could talk to about that. Maybe one day down the road, we'll have to yeah. feel Susan or someone on the show who can discuss that. That'd but, be awesome. Well, Randy did you know, refer to it as We Rock 100% in the interview yeah, I was reading. Totally cool. All right. Up next is track four. And this one is Thank God for the Bomb. You know, actually, another concert staple. This one was played throughout the tour. Weird how a lot of side one was played throughout the tour here. You know, I really like this riff, too. It's in the key of A. I've always said that Ozzy 
really, really does a good job in the key of A. You know, a lot of his songs are in that key. I do like that this one's in the key of A. Really cool riff by Jake. I love the verse melodies. Love them. And of course, I absolutely love the bridge. Today was tomorrow, yesterday. It's funny how time can slip away. Face the face of the, of the doomsday, doomsday clock, clock has yeah. launched a thousand, thousand wars. My favorite line of the entire album. Yeah, for it's sure. fucking awesome. Yeah, for sure. It is definitely a great melody, great lyrics. The song is on fire, except for the chorus. Maybe the worst chorus in Ozzy's career. It is just awful, especially the Nukia Nukia part. I don't know what they were thinking on that. It drives me crazy. The chorus is really bad in this song. I hate to admit it, but definitely the bottom of his career. But I do like this one a little bit just because of how great the melody is, the lyrics, really cool guitar riff, another up-tempo song. This Jake riff isn't conventional at all. He's doing a lot of cool shit in it. Anytime you listen to the Jake's riffs, make sure you're paying attention to how much intricacy is going on. But that bridge, one of Ozzy's best. No question. Jake's riff for me in this song always reminded me of Flying High again a little bit. Yeah, perfect. T of A, yeah. And like you said, the key of A, which Ozzy, I'm with you, man. This is best key, hands down. It's so funny, though, because my little bit of notes that I wrote down here are so similar to what you said. I pointed out the bridge lines there, and I wrote cheesy chorus, Nukia. And <laughs> I'm with you, man. The song itself isn't bad at all. It's got good energy. The guitar parts are cool. The bridge is amazing. Amazing guitar solo. Yeah. Uh, Jake's doing dive bombs. Without, you know, but, no, he's doing them without a whammy bar. Yeah, he's doing them on the nut. Yeah, on the nut. We, we, yeah, we discussed which is this so before cool. in the show, actually. Yeah, yeah, but he's actually doing them on the nut, but still, it's a dive bomb in right. respect of how you know it sounds. The whole song has there's so many cool parts about it, but I'm like, you man, that chorus just kills the entire thing, man. It's just so cheesy, and I hate that because the rest of the song stands up so well. It's the same pattern as Never Know Why. It's just the song is so good. The verse, the verse is good. The verse melody is good, but the chorus just falls really flat in this one. Like I said, Jake's guitar playing does a whole lot to save it, and I and I do love the bombs on the behind the nut there, the the nut bends. Yeah, it, ultimately it is just too much cheese. Like you said earlier, today was tomorrow. Yesterday It's funny how time can slip away. The face of the doomsday clock has launched a thousand wars. That is so fucking. It sounds like Geezer Butler, honestly. It really does. It's. Bob is on fire on this song. Yeah, Bob definitely lit that one up. Was That sounds like a Geezer Butler line. Yeah, I'm like you, man. I love this one, but it definitely falls a little flat with that chorus. Yeah, but don't don't undersell Ozzy's bridge there, though. I think that really does make that part even better. The lyrics are great, but fuck, that is a great melody that Ozzy came up For with sure. on that bridge. It's so good. Gives me chills every time it came on. Like To me, this bridge is like Mr. Crowley really, really up there as one of Ozzy's best bridges. But unfortunately... The chorus is a stink bomb. Yeah. And Randy Castillo on that bridge is doing like the travel. He kind of does a good behind that too, which really adds to it also. Gives it the good feel and vibe. We're supposed to have this up-tempo, intense vibe. And I think the the travel drums kind of help give it that feel also. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to track five, which would be the track that would end side one if you were listening to the vinyl record or the cassette tape. <laughs> now you're talking my language, my man. <laughs> and that would be the track Never. I got to be honest, man. I don't know why. This has always been my most forgettable track on this album. I, 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 it's not that I don't like it. It's not that I think it sucks. I don't know. I always have a hard time even hearing this song in my head a little bit for some reason. I mean, as I'm doing this, I can tell you, I mean, I can hear it, but at the same time, I forget about this song a little bit. 
But the part about it that I do truly love is right before the guitar solo when Ozzy just goes, Oh God. And it's just so, <laughs> it's so painful, cool. right? It's I mean, so it good. sounds like he's it sounds like his nuts getting squished, right? Or they just got kicked in the nuts, actually. I definitely love that part. Now, this is a song though that I would truly love to hear. I think with a remix, this could be the song that gets improved the most in a lot of ways. Because Jake is actually playing some really heavy guitars in the back of this. But they're so compounded in the mix, you really don't hear them. I would love to hear his guitars brought forward on this one. About more than I would any track on the album. Because I think it would really pick this one back out. Whereas to me right now, it fades into the background of the album. I think with that new mix, it could truly stand up a little bit further than it does right now. It's funny, my notes call this one of Ozzy's forgotten songs. He like he just has a few in his career and never is one of them. But I absolutely love the song. The riff is fucking slamming. I love the tempo. This would have been a great live track, but unfortunately it was never played live. I'll tell you, I love Randy's drumming on this during the verses. He's not playing a straight beat at all. He's almost doing like the stutter beat. And it's so fucking cool. And it really makes, makes yeah. the song. And Ozzy's really, really hitting some great notes in this song. You know, if you really listen to the chorus, the It's Never Too Late to Cry, It's Never Too Late for Goodbyes, Ozzy's hitting some great notes in this song. For sure. I'll tell you another interesting part that I think is very, very good is the the pre-chorus. Excellent melody. You search your soul for feeling over and over now, over and over now. There is no use in dreaming over and over now, over and over now. It's fucking great. Mm-hmm. I da, love da, da, da. Oh, yeah. Just picture that guitar booming out at you when it does that. Like, yeah, right, it's right, so right there. cool. But it would be so good, man. This song should have been more popular because it is slamming. It's one of Ozzy's faster songs. It's a great end to side one. This album really has a lot of up-tempo tracks, but for some reason, this song has gotten lost in the shuffle. And I absolutely think it's really, really solid. You know, it's not one of the top tier tracks on the record, but I do think it's forgotten. And I don't know why. Like nobody talks about Never. Now I will tell you, I do think they should have called Never Know Why. They should have called it We Rock. But I do think it was a hindrance that we had never know why and never. I do think that was bad marketing and he should never have both of those song titles go. Never know why we rock should have clearly been called we rock. And then this should have been never great, great melodies by Ozzy here. Lyrically, I don't even know what the hell the song's about to be honest, but I do think Ozzy sounds amazing on it. I think you really nailed on a valid point there when you say the song title is because I think it's confusing to some listeners. If you are a person like my brother who loves Ozzy, but he doesn't deep dive into Ozzy like you and I do, he would totally confuse these two songs. No question about it. No question. So I think that's a, a solid point, man, a valid statement. But I agree with you, man. The track is just totally forgotten about, even amongst myself. It's easily the track. On this. If I was to name you the nine songs on the ultimate sin, this is this would be the song I would forget if any of them. No question about it. And I don't know why that is because I am like you, man. It's up tempo. It's rocking. It's a cool jam, man. It's definitely a cool jam, but for whatever reason, it definitely falls to the pile of forgettable tunes for some reason, and I, I don't totally understand it either. Question I've always kind of asked myself because I never reference it online, never really heard about it in the interview. It was left off the live set. You know, damn well Jake would have had to love to play that song, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely odd that it's definitely forgotten. And he's got a few in his career. You know, Slow Down is kind of one of them. Not that you and I forget them. I mean, I I could tell you more about Ozzy songs than I can my own band shit. And we've talked about that all the time. But I'm talking about just in, like, conversation. How many times has people had a conversation about the song Never? You know, but thank God for the bomb. I, You know, fuck, it's talked about all the goddamn time. All the time. All the time. Killer, all of these songs. Killer Giants. Never know why we rot. 
you know, all this stuff is always discussed, <laughs> but this is the one song that's always forgotten about. Yeah, 100%. All right. So up next is Lightning Strikes. Now, I will tell you, the first time I heard this song, fuck, the riff, opening riff blew me away. Yes, Just sir. Absolutely blew me away. I always kind of called it Jake's version of Crazy Train. You know, it's an F sharp. No question. Yeah. Same exact fucking notes. You know, Jake palm mutes it a little bit more and makes it heavier, to be honest. Absolutely crushing riff. And when Ozzy kicks in, won't you listen? I mean, holy shit, this song is amazing. Matter of fact, when this album came out, I was like, he is going to start the concert with lightning strikes. That was like, I think he's going to throw a swerve and he's going to start with a new song. And that would just make the place go crazy. And he didn't, he's never fucking played it live. And I never understood it. But great, great riff by Jake. One of my favorites by him. Again, I hate to harp on it, but another great, great bridge. But I do have a couple of issues with it. One, God, that rocking all night, I am not a fan of. Same, man. I don't know what Ozzy was thinking. Because this this song has the potential to be a legendary classic. That's how good Jake's music is. I agree totally. Yeah. And that's how good the melody is in the verse. And the melody is in the bridge, but the chorus and the rocking. I know this one drives Ryan crazy as well, but I mean, is Ozzy still rocking all night? I, I, and I hate to pick on Bob here a little bit, and I'm not going to blame Bob because who the hell knows what he was instructed to write about. I mean, compared to Thank God for the Bomb, which is great lyrics, Secret Loser, great fucking lyrics. These are not a great set of lyrics at all. Tell your mama that you're going to be late. Come on. But not That's to worry, my we'll favorite line in the song. Are you <laughs> Get the fuck Tell out of here. Tell your mama that you're going to be oh, late. And the bridge is amazing, you know, that we've talked about. But that, oh, no, I've lost control. Here we go. It's only rock and roll. Not a great lyric, but holy shit is Ozzy's melody chill-inducing. I fucking love it. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, i got to admit, some of the cheesy lyrics are also endearing at the same time. I, I, I disagree. I, I agree totally that the lyrics are cheesy in this song. But... Tell your mama that you're going to be late. I can remember being little, and I fucking love that, man. Yeah, he's I mean, talking to those rock guys, you know. 1980s, we're out partying, and yeah, yeah we're just rocking all I night. Mean, as a 42-year-old man, do I necessarily know? But at the same time, when I was a teenager, I thought that was cool as shit, man. Like, yeah, but I was kind of old by this point. There's no denying either that this song does suffer from what a lot of this album suffers from. And that's a poor chorus. You know, really good bridges, really good pre-choruses, great verses, shitty delivery in the chorus, man. And I'm with you. That that really hinders the song just awful because rocking all night till like, yeah, I just can't get with that either, man. It it kills, like you said, what could potentially be such a monster song. Cause I'm like you, man, the riff definitely Jackie Lee's crazy train, but the riff is kick ass. You know, the whole song just kicks ass except for that shitty course that just doesn't quite do it for most listeners yeah and you bring up a great point because the pre-chorus rocks you know i take no prisoners my backs to the wall i always thought why didn't that just be the chorus they didn't even have to have the other part that this song could have just went from verse to you know i take no prisoners that could have been the chorus and then back to tell your mama i never understood why we had to have the rocking all night part we need someone to edit that for us and send it to us. Like, do an edit and cut that part out of it and, send, and listen All to what right. it sounds like. That'd be fucking awesome, wouldn't it? I'll do it. I'll fuck around with it. I can do you it. You should do that, man. Yeah. Okay. That, that'd be really fun. And we can just see. It's like when people redo, like, St. Anger and stuff for, right. <laughs> for Metallica or they redo the, the Justice album and put, you know, bass in there. It'd be fun to hear. There's a version of St. Anger that someone redid and they cut all the songs down from, like, seven minutes to five minutes and they redid. 
just restructured the songs and it's really fucking good actually. Well, I told and, you there's uh, that Randy Staub edit of some kind of monster and he replaces the snare and he edits it down to four minutes and the, it is a fucking great song. Way better. Check it out. Metallica, some kind of monster edited by Randy Staub. It's on official Metallica release. So this is a Metallica released song. Yeah, that's what I was actually getting at. I was saying Saint Anger the album, but because that's the album. But yeah, the, yeah, some kind of monster remake. That so they did the whole album though, didn't they? No, no, that was some fan that it was did somebody, that. It was different. Yeah, yeah. Randy yeah. Staub only did some kind of monster. Yeah. But there is a fan version of the whole album redone, similar also. It'd be fun to hear though, Lightning Strikes without the cheesy chorus to see what it could sound like. So I think it could really be smoking, no question. Now I got a now I got a challenge. I'm gonna have to work on that. <laughs> you know the we'll weird thing it. is 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 the chorus is kind of cool rhythmically and musically because i like how jake is picking those chords when ozzy says lightning strikes again you know until the light and then jake is like arpeggiating those chords underneath it right and then he yeah. goes back to the hard part really cool and interesting musically but ozzy really dropped the ball on this one doesn't ryan refer to this album as the ultimate rock yeah, something we, like we discussed. That. He always because yeah. he say every song's rocking, rocking. Every song is rocking. It's the yeah. ultimate rock. Yeah, but unfortunately, no yeah, that this one is a great. This one has the most potential. What a high ceiling this song could have been. Yeah, I agree totally. It, when you put those three in a bowl, never know why. I think off of the bomb, lightning strikes. Those are the three that the courses really hinder how how good yeah. they could have been. And I, I'm with you. I think the high ceiling, 100, is lightning strikes. It could have been so much better. Yeah, agreed. And let's talk about the video again. I love Ozzy Kong. Always love that part of the video. Ozzy Kong. Yeah, yeah I love so it, man. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> the way they edited the video into the Ultimate Ozzy was always so confusing. It was That's like, as so a kid, annoying. it's like, is he playing it live or not? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I understand. We, we'll have to do an episode on the Ultimate Ozzy sometime. For sure. That was the live video that really introduced me to live Ozzy. No question about it. So that brings us to track seven, which is the epic killer of giants. I know I can speak for any Aussie fan breathing when I say I fucking love Killer of Giants, man. Killer of Giants is what we all want Aussie songs to be. And it felt like Jake reached into his bag of Randy Rhodes tricks and pulled out this classical styling guitar to open up the song. It ends up that the intro for Killer of Giants and the actual song itself were written separately. And then they later pieced them together. I find that so neat that a that they fit together so perfectly but it really leads itself to the perfect ozzy osbourne sound i think everyone that loves the classic old school diary of a madman ozzy solo tone wants the rocking guitars and bass and drums mixed with classical guitar i love it randy castillo's double bass when the song kicks in so fucking heavy man i can remember being very small when i first heard this track and it damn near creeped me out. And as, as an adult, I don't hear it as a creepy song at all. But the tone of that double bass and Jake, and it just kicked in so loud and heavy. And I can still see the Ultimate Aussie video in my head, you know, the live video of that song. And it, just, it was just so heavy and scary to me at that time. And I don't even really know why, but it just was so good, man. It's such an impactful song. Awesome lyrics, obviously, about the nuclear holocaust. The big red button, you know, how easy it could be to... To end us all. Just absolutely love this song, man. I, I, I know you have nothing but good things to say about it yourself. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is what I always consider Killer of Giants as kind of Revelation Mother Earth Part 2. You know, same guy writing the lyrics, Bob Daisley, and he really does a great job on this song. The hero here is clearly Jake. 
That intro was so iconic. I mean, every guitar player from the 1980s played along with that. But I will tell you this. What he is playing behind the verses of the If None of Us Believe in War part is some brilliant, brilliant shit. It it's is fucking hard, hard, ain't it? It's fucking hard. <laughs> it is some it's brilliant fun. shit. I can play the intro all day, but when you get yeah. to the, course, I, the verse, I usually just stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me too. It is some. Br- Jake is a brilliant player. So underrated, man. This song is what I want Ozzy to be. Epic. You know, when I hear... Absolutely. Holy shit, we have three epic songs on the new Ozzy record that he's writing with Andrew Watt. My first thought always goes, Killer of Giants. Here we go. We got a new Killer of Giants coming. This song is awesome from Ozzy's melodies. Now, this is the song he gets the chorus brilliantly. Fuck, I love that chorus. When he gets that marches of protest, not stopping the war. Oh, it's, it gives me chills, man. I'm literally getting yeah. chills right and now. And there's also that odd timing part, Killer of Giants. Dun, 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 dun. Done, yeah, where it kind of just it falls into that yeah. groove and that accent to the groove is so fucking good, man. Absolutely great. Yeah, this song is clearly the iconic song from this record. I love that Ozzy still pulls it out live. Fuck, he even pulled out the Ultimate Sin live not that long ago. How cool is it that he pulled out the Ultimate Sin, Killer of Giants, and Shot in the Dark on the Scream Tour? Yeah, if you'll remember, I even asked Gus G, I said, which is your favorite guitar player of the Ozzy guys? And he eventually... It's kind of said I own me, but he really wouldn't pick any of them. I told him, I said, I thought you were a Jakey e. Lee fan because all of a sudden Ozzy's playing all these Ultimate Sin era Jakey e. Lee tracks that he hadn't been playing in years. And I thought right. maybe that Gus G had kind of poked him to play those tracks, but he kind of said that was really more of an Aussie thing. He just, you know, they had a big bulletin board that they wrote the songs out on and would play them all. And it was really more Aussie's decision to play those tracks. But one thing you said that I wanted to jump on also and piggyback also in my mind, and you said, Revelation Mother Earth Part 2, you know, we all love those Aussie epics, and most albums have it. There's been a few that really did it in my eyes. Revelation Mother Earth, Diary of a Madman. To me, the closest thing on Bark of the Moon is Waiting for Darkness. I don't know that I quite put it in the epic category. It's a great song. I fucking love that song. But to me, Killer of Giants has that epic sound that we really all want. And I'm like you, man, when they say the new album has a couple of epic tracks, I go to a song like killer of giants and revelation mother earth and, and cross my fingers and pray that we get something third of that. Yeah. Because that's exactly what I want my Aussie tracks to sound like. Also, I do put no more tears in that conversation. Also of, of those epic kind of Aussie tracks. It just kind of, they have a change in pace throughout the song in different modes. Yeah. And, and they build, I love right. It. I think that's a yeah, big for part sure. of it. They build. And I, and I, I think maybe that's where, Waiting for Darkness doesn't fall into that category. Now you'll find out later, people, that Waiting for Darkness is one of my all-time favorite Ozzy songs. So I'm not I'm clearly not saying I like it less than these songs. Just from an epic perspective, I don't quite consider it an epic. I agree with you. Because most of those epics build, diary builds, revelation builds, killer of giants builds, and no more tears builds. You know, it's kind of yeah. got that awesome bass intro with the keyboards. It's definitely builder. So I definitely think Killer of Giants is one of the best songs he ever wrote with Jake. I wish they would have continued down this path. Obviously, we love Zach. I'm so excited that Zach joined Ozzy. But Killer of Giants, definitely one of the best gems off this record. Yeah, no question. All right. Up next is track eight. Another underrated gem. This one isn't as forgotten as never, but I think it's very overlooked. One of his most overlooked songs of his catalog, and that is the wonderful Fool Like You. Fuck, I love this song. And me and Josh talk about this a lot. This is a very underrated track. All right, let's get this out of the way. It totally steals Black Magic Woman at the beginning intro. But once that gets through and the the harmonics are done, I think this song is fucking stellar. 
great music, great tempo, great headbanging song. Ozzy is on fire melodically again. What I like about this one, too, is there's so many different melodies going on. It's not a very standard verse-chorus, verse-chorus. You know, you have your verses. I hear you breathing, though you're so far away. You have the today's just another day part. You're hearing what you want to hear part. He's hiding, residing deep within the crowd. Another bridge. This song has just got so many cool twists and turns on it that it reminds me a little bit more of like a Sabbath track from an arrangement standpoint. Great chorus. Great lyrics. I think Bob is back on his A-game again on this one. Definitely an underrated gem. Yeah, no question. This is a song that I've always enjoyed it, but it was probably about two years ago I had a true epiphany. I was driving to work one day, and it was on, and it just really sunk in like, fuck, man, this song is about as good as anything on this record. Full Like You is maybe the most underrated Aussie song of his solo career. It's definitely up there for me on the overlooked underrated scale no question about it because again it's not one people really ever discuss kind of like never no one really ever talks about fool like you very much either it's it's aussie for me man it's aussie's melodies on that fucking verse that sinks it for me 100 i just absolutely fucking love this one no question about it yeah kind of a shame it's never been played live again because he did play so much off of this record but unfortunately fool like you was never played Definitely, I think, personally, side two just kicks side one's ass all over the place. Side two of The Ultimate Sin is fucking fantastic. And that kind of came to fruition when we did the battle for Spark at the Moon. How kind of side two, it was a, it was a massacre, and then side two kind of brought Ultimate Sin back a little bit for a lot of us. Listeners, let us know, but I think Josh just hit on a topic. Ozzy's top ten most underrated tracks. Oh, I like it, man. I like, I like it. it. That would yeah. be fun. That would, it be, would be, it'd be fun to see how our, how mine and your top 10 would, would match and then vary at the same time. I'm curious which ones we both would have. I can think of a couple off the top of my head that we definitely both would pick, but yeah, I think Four sure. Like You is definitely up there for both of us. No yeah, question. That would just, and there's not even a whole lot to say about it other than just how fucking great that melody is. And it's just so fucking good, man. It's just, it's just a great Aussie track. Definitely listen to it if you're not familiar with it, but. I think when most people think of Ultimate Sin, that's not one of the tracks they talk about a lot. Exactly. Of the nine tracks, it's probably track seven or eight for most people. Which it, is crazy. It just, it just is, but I don't I don't know why either because it's just so good. And like I said, even myself, I've always liked it, but it took twenty five years for me to really for it to sink in also how great I it thought really I was. was. On, I mean was that not harping you on it? I could have sworn like I was harping no, you. No, no, I not that one. One day I just kind of messaged out of nowhere okay. to you and Ryan and I was like, fuck. And you guys are like, well, I'm like Full like you is fucking amazing. And you both are yeah. like, of course yeah. it is. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's right. You two are already yeah. kind of like on the wagon, but I was like, yeah. oh, I've always liked it. But like, it's like really fucking amazing, you know, yeah. like top three on the album possible. Amazing. You're like, yeah. So it's definitely up there. All right. And that brings us to the album closer and the album's lead single, the infamous shot in the dark written by Mr. Ozzy Osbourne and Phil Susanne. What's to say about shot in the dark that everyone doesn't already know. It's got the fucking, massive bass intro which is completely recognizable instantly it's a song that you could hear you know 0.5 seconds of the bass intro and you know exactly what song it was it's just fucking great man the the vocal melodies are excellent the guitar solo is excellent unfortunately jakey lee doesn't have a whole lot for this track i know he doesn't play it live with any of his solo bands he's it's not overly big it kind of makes jokes about the song sometimes i guess because he didn't have a credit in songwriting for it that's probably why he has a little bit of a beef with this one but man, it's fucking, it's shot in the dark. And to this day, when I see Ozzy live in 2022, it's one of my favorite songs in the set. I love when he does the song still to this day. It's fucking shot in the dark. It's excellent. Yeah. I mean, this is such an iconic song. This one was a grower, to be honest. Like I said, the first time I heard it, I was kind of like, 
God, this doesn't feel like an Aussie song. Clearly was written to be a pop hit. There's no question about it. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the song. Originally done by Phil Susan in a band called Wildlife with the Overland Brothers. Now, the Overland Brothers claimed that they did not get writing credit and that they were screwed out of royalties. Phil Susan claims that he wrote the song and he brought it to Ozzy as an, un, you know, an unused piece of music that they can continue to develop. So Ozzy had him rewrite the lyrics. He wasn't happy with the lyrics. The chorus is almost identical, lyrically a little bit different, but mo- vocally very similar. But Ozzy definitely enhances the melody of the verses a ton. A really, ton. the original is a very, very sappy, generic AOR piece. I'm not ripping it. It's just, it is what that, that's what it is. It's an AOR rock song. Yeah, it sounds like a montage for an 80s movie, kind of. Yeah, exactly. You know, no question about it. And it's kind of okay. I mean, I listened to it and the chorus is still real, real catchy. The vocals are really good on it. But again, it's a very much of a AOR-ish type of vocal performance. Ozzy definitely puts his stamp on his version. So there is a lot of controversy around this. Uh, let me be perfectly clear. There are no issues with, between Phil and Ozzy on this track. Phil got his writing credit, has gotten his royalties. That is not why Ozzy doesn't play it live or do this or do that. Ozzy just doesn't like this record. But it is on streaming sites now. It might have been pulled off of Ozman comments because they were having issues at that time, but they've long been resolved. So much so that Phil Susan has constantly talked very well about Ozzy and Sharon in the spotlight. In, in the media in particular. So again, Shot in the Dark is Ozzy's, one of Ozzy's biggest hits. It, it peaked at number 68 on the Hot Billboard 100. Now, again, when we talk about singles, Ozzy's not a singles guy. He's an album guy, right? Most of his albums hit top 10, typically top five nowadays. But for Ozzy to have a song that hit 68 on the Billboard Power 100 charts, you know, along with the Michael Jacksons of the world and all the pop hits that were out, that's an absolute huge, huge accomplishment for Ozzy back in the day. This song was everywhere. I would say outside of Crazy Train, this could be maybe Ozzy's second most recognizable song to a common fan. You know, definitely Shot in the Dark, maybe My Mom Coming Home. I would I would say My Mom Coming Home is too. Yeah, yeah. but Shot in the Dark is right there at, at three or so. Yeah, for sure. So this is a great way to end the record. Th- the reason this song came about, again, is because Ron Nevison didn't hear a, a single. So instead of covering Born to be Wild... Ozzy asked Phil if he had anything and brought this song in, and that's how this song came to be. Now, I actually disagree a little bit. I think Jake's contributions are fucking spectacular. That little thing he does at the beginning, I don't even know what the fuck he's doing, but it's such an iconic little lick that no question. It, it makes the song. And fuck, do I love his I guitar I think he's doing, a, he's doing a natural harmonic and bending it behind the nut again. Yeah, he is, for sure. It's yeah. just so cool. But at the time, I heard it, and I was like, what is that? What is he doing? It's so different. But I love his guitar solo. I think the guitar solo is so good in Shot in the Dark. It's perfect. It's yeah. perfect. And no the qu- way it he, serves the song. Yeah, no question. The way he attacks the riff, it makes it a metal song. Because it's it, the, the original is not a metal song by any stretch of the imagination. But the way Jake attacks the riff definitely gives it a crunch that, that yeah. the original never had. So his contribution, I think, kind of makes it much more of an Aussie track. So way to, way to interpret that song, Jake, because you did an amazing job on yeah, it. Yeah, he turned it into an Aussie. No, there's no doubt. When you hear the wildlife version and then the, the Aussie version musically, Jake E. Lee turns it into an Aussie song. There's You nailed that. There's no question about it. No question. 
So just going to state for the record, I say Phil Sassoon and Josh says Phil Susan. So I am sure Josh was right. For this episode, we went with the Phil Suzanne thing. But I'm going to say this. Phil, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on so you can set the record straight on how to pronounce your name. <laughs> Vinny Epicy and Carmine Apiece. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's so funny because you grow up, the most common version of that is, is Neil Peart, right? Everybody he'll said Neil always Peart. Be Neil, he'll always be Neil Peart to me. Never. <laughs> Neil Peart Listen, is. Ah. He will forever be Neil Peart to almost every fan of Rush ever. Yes. You know? And I know it's but, really Neil Peart. But no, yeah. it just doesn't sound right. But we all said per our whole lives, and this yeah. is all we know, you know. So I've always said Phil Susan. I, I I feel comfortable in that, but uh, you never know. I could be wrong. So yeah, Phil would be a great guest. I need to reach oh. out to him sometime yeah. and see if we can pull him on. But I know he stays busy with you know Last in Line and some of his other projects. Yeah. He does. He does a lot of stuff out in Vegas. The writing, the Rock Vault, and all that. He's he's around everywhere, really doing things. So he's Phil's done it. You know, for a guy who, and I don't say this in a negative way. He's built his career on playing on one album with Ozzy Osbourne for the most part, right? I mean, up until recent. Well, that's where he made his money. Well-deserved. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to say as far as, yeah. you know, he's really kept himself out there, man. Like, Phil's around all the time playing, yeah. you know, with different bands, touring with band, bands that we know of, bands who are still relevant. But he's done a good job of keeping himself out there, you know, amongst the people and out in bands that we know and still listen to to this day. And he's still very active. And that's very commendable because he definitely could have easily faded into oblivion with a lot of other people. And he's not, man. He still looks great. Yeah. He still plays great. You know, he looks excellent, you know, so he's definitely still out there. And, and Last in Line's a killer band that he's still playing with also. So it's you know kind of cool that he's still out doing this thing. Yeah, I want to say a lot of people think of Phil Suzanne as a blink of an eye on in the Ozzy Osbourne solo band. And that couldn't be further from the truth. A lot of people don't realize, obviously, he was on Shot in the Dark and did the whole Shot in the Dark tour, but... He was in the band with Zach. He was part of the hiring process to get Zach in. Once the Ultimate Sin tour was over, he was told once again to go start writing again. And that's when he had the problems with Jake. Ozzy had told him, well, since Jake is gone, continue to write. So he was continuing to write songs for Ozzy. And then they brought Zach in and they played together for a bit. There's a couple of even promotional pictures out there that you can find. There's a picture of Ozzy and Phil together in the Bible of Oz box set that's out of Japan which I thought was really, really cool to see. But a lot of people don't realize Phil was in the band for a while. And the reason he left is because Ozzy wanted him to sign a publishing deal that was very similar to the Jake publishing deal for Bark at the Moon and the Bob publishing deal for Bark at the Moon, which is we're going to give you all your money up front and you're not going to get residuals on the back end. And Phil wouldn't do it. He left cordially and Randy Castillo called him after he left and said, be fucking crazy. You could have made a ton of money doing it this way, but hats off to Phil to stick him by his priorities and his morals and whatever you know he wanted to do but that's the reason he left Ozzy is because he didn't want to take that publishing deal yeah and you know as far as the publishing deal goes man it's so easy to look back and hindsight's 2020 you know what i'm saying like you look at, at bark at the moon and say jakey lee and bob daisley how could you take a, a deal like that well yeah we know now that 40 years later those albums are still selling they didn't know then they'd still be selling 40 years later and when you got a boatload of fucking money sitting there right in your hand, and you can either take this big lump sum of cash or you can wait and play the gambling game and see what happens down the road. It's very hard, especially if you're a broke musician like most of us are, not to go ahead and take that cash. Right. That's what happened with Jake on Bark of the Moon. And people now, you know, they're trying to change history and say, well, he was ripped out of this, ripped out of that. Jake wasn't ripped out of anything. Now, was he maybe strong armed into taking that kind of deal? Maybe. But we've also seen interviews in the past where he admitted that Bob advised him that he should That's take right. that. 
Bob even mentions it in his book. Yeah, because he don't want to get fucked out of the back end later. So go ahead and take the money up front now. Burn the but hands was, two in the bush, right? Well, well, Bob was already getting fucked by that point. Yeah. With, yeah, so he was like, fucking take the money now so you don't get fucked like I've been. But now a lot of fans, and it's not so much Jake. Jake says, I want my name on the Bark of the Moon album. That's Correct. all I want. And that's, that's all he says. But a lot of fans are trying to turn it that Jake's been ripped out of money for all these years, and that's simply not the truth. He just signed it. He agreed to give it all up front, and that's just what he signed on for. And that's exactly what Phil Susan would not agree to sign up for. And, and I can understand that awesome. And he, yeah. at this point, Ozzy's extremely established. Phil knew that these albums are going to sell for a long time at this point. And then Jake put his foot down for the ultimate sin. So let's talk about that a little bit, right? So Jake now says, hey, I'm going to take my publishing deal. And he kind of had a little bit of hand here and kind of held them to the fire and said, well, you can get another guitar player if you don't let me take my publishing on this go round. And he got his publishing, which and, is well-deserved. Yeah, and kudos to him for standing at, for what he believed in at that point yeah. also. Yeah, it's, it's just two ways of looking at it, you know, and kudos for him for standing up for what he really wanted to do the whole time i believe anyway i do re- believe jake regretted taking that on the, the bark of the moon session that yeah. lump sum but i do think he maybe felt like he didn't have much of an option either so the osborne's clearly had hand at that time i mean they had george lynch right in their back pocket who would have jumped at the chance to join the band yeah no question i mean he was on tour with the group watching them play every night and learning yeah. the songs and i mean it's, there's no question about it so yeah it's, it's interesting to look back at it now but so many people try to change I've been in conversations with the Rhodes family where people will chime in online or on other things and try to correct them on how things went down, you know, financially with some of the guys and this and that. And it's so funny how people think they know more than the people who were involved in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and, and that includes me. I don't know more about that deal than Jakey e. Lee does. I'm not saying I do, but at the same time, you know, I've seen people try to say that Randy Rhodes was making $500 a week and this and that. Listen, I can tell you, I have seen it with my own two eyes. He was making a lot more fucking money than that. I can promise you. <laughs> can promise. But you brought up a good point. Jake doesn't ever complain that he was ripped off financially. He doesn't. No, he complains it's, that his it's name the fans is not. To say that. Yeah, he wants his name on the record because he wants his his contribution noted that he wrote the Bark at the Moon riff, and he did write the Bark at the Moon riff. And I, I mean, personally, I think they should throw him a bone and just add it on there, but. You know, that's not for us to say that that's something that Ozzy and Jake have to work out. Because quite frankly, if they did that, Jake would write again with Ozzy. And who the fuck wouldn't want that? I think the concern is this. If you're the Osbournes and you go back and put Jake and Bob's name on that record, does that bring up a whole new lawsuit? Not if they sign a confidentiality agreement. Or or sign an agreement beforehand that there's nothing. That's true. It's true. Yeah, that's how they'd have to do it. And and I'm sure Bob and Jake would take it because... They got paid for it. They're just looking to get their name. And this is more of a Bark of the Moon discussion. But, you know, we want to talk about the Jake era. And I think that Ozzy and Sharon could have done something for that for Bob and Jake. But I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah. No, I agree. It would be nice. And I can understand. I would want my name on that also. I mean, no fucking question. Yeah. You know. Bark of the Moon is one of the greatest fucking riffs of all time. And I say it all the time. It's fucking brilliant. I'm sure Jake wants to be credited as the guy that came up with it. You know, while we're discussing it, even though it's Spark of the Moon, let's throw out there too. It was originally written in eighth notes. You know, yeah, right. So yeah, to change it to the sixteenth notes, you know, the verse, the version that we all know and love so much. I mean, right? God, you know, thank God that exactly. Because what goes goes from ordinary to extraordinary really quick. Really quick. No question. (laughs) Real quick, Josh, before we do our list, 
Again, I just want to reiterate, there are no hidden tracks. There's no bonus tracks. There's no unreleased material. There's no songs that they recorded and didn't make the record. Now, there could be demos that the guys worked up that never made Ozzy uh, melodies done or something like that that I'd love to hear, and there's something out there. There are the four songs they recorded for the demo that's never been reissued. Ultimately, at the end of the day, these are the nine songs we got. No more, no less. This is the whole session, which is the only Ozzy album that that happens at. Every other Ozzy album either has bonus tracks and most have unreleased material. The Randy stuff didn't, though. All right, so my number nine would be Never Know Why. Make that a ditto. At number nine for me is Never Know Why We Rot. (laughs) (laughs) That goes to you, Mr. Jeremy Chaney, out there, wherever you are. I know you love it. So my number eight is... Thank God for the bomb. And we are right on par. Number eight for me also. Thank God for the bomb. All right. My number seven is never. Even though I do really think the song is solid, it it hits my number seven spot. No, I'm right with you. Number seven for me is also never. I do think it's a solid song. But ultimately, my number six, which is probably going to be your number six, (laughs) just has a little bit more to offer in other areas. So we'll see. Let's see what you got at number six. All right, my number six is Lightning Strikes. Classic riff, just like we talked about, but that chorus just brings it down a little bit. <laughs> exact same for me. Number six is Lightning Strikes. The chorus does bring it down. The Lightning Strikes never are close, but ultimately Lightning Strikes does have that killer riff. It does have the cool verses and stuff. So yeah, I go with Lightning Strikes at six also. All right, my number five is the very, very amazing Secret Loser. Okay, this is starting to get boring. <laughs> Number five for me is Secret <laughs> oh, <no>. Loser. <laughs> this is the first time this, this is, has happened. This is getting weird now. Let's see, let's see how this winds down. All right, so here's where we may differ. All right, my number four is Shot in the Dark. All right, number four for me, oddly enough, Shot in the Dark. I could I could go three possibly with Shot in the Dark, but I'm right there in the yeah. fence with three and four. But I'm, I'm going to go four Shot in the Dark also, man. This is getting fucked up. So this is exactly right. I could have went three shot in the dark, but I lean this song just a smidge. And number three for me is fool like you. Motherfucker. Same <laughs> fool like you. Oh my God. Could it, could it happen? It's, we're so close. History. And again, oh my God. Josh and I never share our lists ever. Never. So, all right, here we go. God, these are two clearly best songs off the record. Oh, like, they're fucking monsters. They're man. fucking monsters. Yeah. Today, I'm going to say my number two is the title track, The Ultimate Sin. Yeah, number two for me is Killer of Giants. Man. Oh, God, we were, we're so, so fucking close. close. Damn it. <laughs> we were so close. But yeah. But to be fair, Killer of Giants and Ultimate Sin, I could swap them any day me of the too. week and, and wouldn't give a fuck. I mean, That's I love right. them both. I, I'm like you. I think they're the best two on the album, like you said a second ago. No question. Yeah, I would say most days. It's it's 50-50 straight up because I love The Ultimate Sin. For today, my number one is Killer of Giants. I think my guitar player kind of came out because I really spent a lot of time learning the song. I think it's just the ultimate epic. That just hair of the epic vibe of it just gives it the edge over The Ultimate Sin. Well, number one for me, of course, The Ultimate Sin, the title track. It's the song that says it all. I fucking when I play with Jake E. Lee, they his band opened with the ultimate scene, which I thought was just so fucking cool. You know, just to see Jake E. Lee playing the song in front of me. And I had just come off my set and it was just fucking amazing. But 
the ultimate scene for me is the, the best track on this album day to day. See, I could say I could definitely switch it with killer giants, but ultimately I know I'm definitely about a 60, 40 ultimate scene on that one. Yeah. I would say that ultimate scene killer giants, clearly the two best tracks and three and four fool like you and shot in the dark are clearly the next two. 100%. And yeah. I think we see the album very, very similar. You know, we joke a lot of times that we share a brain and on this album, we are fucking exactly the same. Yeah, I think we're locked in on this record. No question about it. I think we're very locked in on our thoughts about this one. Well, this was awesome. I hope the fans enjoyed it. Again, one of Ozzy's great 80s records. I mean, the first seven are really never touched. They're they're definitely the most iconic of his career, and The Ultimate Sin is one of those. And this is the first tour I saw. You know, I saw Metallica open up the tour. Again, I thought the tour was spectacular. Back in the 80s, except for Diary of a Madman, Ozzy would do a lot of songs from that record. On this one, he did Secret Loser, Never Know Why, Thank God for the Bomb, Killer of Giants, and Shot in the Dark. That's five songs on this tour. And in some spots, he even did The Ultimate Sin, but that wasn't regularly in the set. But can you imagine five songs from the new record? And he was very similar like that on No Rest for the Wicked. Yeah, and it's only a nine-song record, so that's pretty much the whole fucking record almost. And not to mention... Jakey e. Lee's smoking fucking hot guitar solo in Killer of Giants Live, which yeah. I still put down as one of the greatest guitar solos of all time. It's so fucking good. So I was there, and I just want to bring this up before we end the show. I love Metallica. They're one time in my life, they were my second favorite band. And actually, when this tour happened, they were my second favorite band. So I was blown away. My first, my first show ever was my favorite artist, Ozzy, with Metallica, my second favorite artist at that time, opening. Because I got into thrash really, really early as a listener. They did not blow Ozzy off the stage. That's just not true. We were there. They went over wonderful. But trust me when I tell you, when the when the lights came up, the Ozzy chant started. I think people like to rewrite history. They were an amazing, amazing band live. And they went over great. But they surely did not blow Ozzy off the stage. You often hear, too, that Jake didn't sound good. Jake was out of tune and things like no that. Way. Too. That's bullshit also, man. Yeah. Jakey Lee's a fucking monster. And I'm not buying that bullshit for one second either. With the revisionist history saying that tour was sloppy and no it, a lot of it was Jakey Lee, that's just total bullshit. Yeah. Well, actually, I think Jake put his foot, now that I think about it, Jake put his foot down and said he wanted to play more Jake songs than Randy songs live. So this is the only set list because they opened with Bark at the Moon as well. I wish they would have kept Rock and Roll Rebel on the set, to be honest, but for this sure. is the only set in Ozzy's history where. I believe the Jake and Randy songs were even. So Jake, I think, put his foot down and said, no, 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 we're going to play as many Jake songs as Randy songs for this tour. Well, and some of that's the era also, Dan. I mean, in the 80s, you really toured to promote your record. I mean, oh, that yeah. was, this is how it worked. And, you know, the same thing with No Rest for the Wicked you mentioned a second ago. They played a lot of those. It's just what you did back then. And, you know, nowadays you'll play your hit single and play your, your greatest hits the rest of the damn show. Yeah. But back then, people really wanted to hear the new songs. It was so funny. I'll tell this story real quick before we sign off. When we went and saw Black Sabbath on the 13 tour, my wife and I, we went back-to-back nights. We went to essentially Chicago and Indianapolis. They're right outside Tinley Park and Noblesville. When Black Sabbath would play the songs from 13, the crowd would get up and go take a piss. I mean, it's, I'm just being honest. Yeah, the crowd terrible. was not into the new tunes, man. It, it broke my heart. because, And it was so funny because my wife had heard me secondhand listening to this record for like fucking months, right? Like I listened to it nonstop when 13 came out. I'm sure we all did, right? And she looked at me and she's so funny. She says, I think I'm the only person here that knows these songs more than the classics. <laughs> because, <laughs> so awesome. jam with that, that CD so fucking much leading up to the concerts. But sadly, this day and time, people don't really want to hear the new material. But back then, man, people were fucking itching for these new songs. They couldn't wait when the album came out. I can't wait to hear Ozzy play Shot in the Dark Live. 
you know, yeah. and now people just don't have that as much. He did that all the way through No More Tears. Because No More Tears has a shit ton of new material Absolutely. as well. Yeah, really, yeah. it's osmosis that it kind of started to really disappear. But, yeah, I mean, you, know, you had Perry Mason and I Just Want You, and that was it. And, and Perry Mason was dropped halfway through tour. So. That's right. But I got to give him credit. He did bring three songs back for, for Black Rain, mm-hmm. you know, which he hasn't done since then. Because Scream yeah. only got Scream, which was kind of highly disappointing. And Fearless a few times. They played Fearless a couple times. I think once or it. twice. Not much yeah. at all. Yeah, not much. All right, man. Well, that was an awesome, awesome episode. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I really thought that, you know, this was definitely the time to do a deep dive, an in-depth look on one of Jakey Lee's best, The Ultimate Sin. And before we sign out also, we'll be remiss if we didn't say, you know, rest in peace, Randy Castillo. You know, he was the fucking man. I love Randy Castillo. I know you do also. Yeah. And like I said, in my head, when I picture, if I do the all-time Aussie solo band, Randy's on drums for me, 100%. And, you know, there was a documentary called The Life, Blood, and Rhythm of Randy Castillo that came out around 2014 or so that's fucking excellent. And if you've never seen that, I would definitely suggest, you know, you can go rent it on Google or YouTube or whatever the fuck all. Amazon, whatever, you can rent it and watch it. It's fucking stellar. And it goes all the way through his career and life. And what an excellent, you know, drummer in person he was. He seemed to be the most likable, coolest motherfucker in the room everywhere he went. You know, I definitely wanted to send out a rest in peace to Randy Castillo because he was just a huge part of all this force. Yeah, great point. I mean, Randy was the man for sure. I got to see him live a bunch of times and definitely he was great live. You know, his drum solo was also very like Tommy Aldridge, a very iconic part of the set. Yeah, for sure. When he would get out and walk around the kit and play yeah. from the outside and stuff, that's cool. It's, it's a great, that's having vision of doing something that what about a drum solo will catch the crowd's attention. Okay, well, if I get up and walk around the kit. Yeah. Play from no the outside. It's it it such a great idea. Yeah, he was just a fucking man, and I'm I'm I feel fortunate that I was able to see him one time, and that was on the uh, Retirement Sucks tour for the Osmosis album. The first time I ever saw Ozzy live, it was Randy Castillo on drums, Geezer Butler on bass, Joe Holmes, of course, and Ozzy. So definitely feel very blessed that I got to see him the one time that I did because he definitely means a lot to me and my Ozzy fandom. I'm just a big fan of his, and uh, glad I got to see him at least once before he before he passed on his way too soon. Yeah, no question. Well, thanks a lot, man. Good, good episode. All right, then. Yeah, I enjoyed it, man. And until next time, guys, we will see you on the other side. Josh. I was muted. I'm sorry. I was okay. talking away. It was muted. Hold on. Uh, okay. Right, here I go. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Hold for on. For sure. <clears throat> Say it again for sure. Okay. So don't hang up. Okay. Hi, podcast peoples. Hello. God damn, I'm a train wreck. Hey, hey, I'm here. All right. Generals gathered in their masses. It's just like witches at black masses. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. Oh, Lord, yeah. You fucker. You fuckhead. That's awesome.